What's up, everybody? This is Daniel Atondo. I'm the lead pastor at Eden Church, and we're so excited that you've joined us on the Eden Podcast. The next 30 minutes, we hope, will add value to your life, deepen your connections to others, but most importantly, we want to help you grow in your faith. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. So just by show of hands, I need to know who I'm working with this morning. Um, have you ever posted something on social media that like you wish you never posted, right? And you, okay, thank you. I appreciate all the honesty here. Wow, okay. And all right, there's more, there's more of you than that, okay? That's why I see you smile. If you're smiling and not raising your hand, that is an indication that you have posted something on social media that you regret, okay? I know you have, and, uh, and we'll just assume that that's most of us this morning. Well, if you've ever done that, you know, like maybe you posted it because it wasn't like you didn't get as many likes as you thought you were. And did you know that there's like this thing in social media now where people will be like, oh, I'm posting this for now, but I don't know, maybe I'll take it down later. And they're basing that on the amount of likes that they get in response because do you know how embarrassing it is if you post a picture of your baby and nobody likes it? All right, I'm taking that sucker down. Until the baby's face forms a little bit more and becomes a little bit more attractive to people apparently. But, you know, I did that uh, in, a, in a slightly different scenario, and it was when I was a high school senior. This was really before social media had gotten big, and it was before you could take stuff down. And in my high school, what they allowed for you to do is when you were a senior and you took your senior portrait, they gave you like two to three lines where you can say something inspirational or memorable or something maybe tied to like your identity or whatever. And so this was, this was the quote that I left the world with. And I just, you can picture me with like a mini half filled in goatee in high school. If you're trying to be the very best at anything, it's going to be difficult. Have you ever seen those Captain Obvious commercials, right? Like if you're going to go to the store to buy stuff, you need money, right? If you're going to get in your car to drive somewhere, you need gas. It was one of those kind of statements. And it was made by a guy named Dan Gable. Dan Gable was this amazing wrestler. He lost one match in his entire college career. When he went on to the Olympics, he didn't give up one single point the entire tournament, one gold in the 1972 Olympics, and then he went on to become the winningest coach in Iowa Hawkeye wrestling history. Great guy, not a great quote. Great guy, not a great quote, but that's not his fault because I don't even know where I got it from. He may have just been like saying something in passing, and what I realized in retrospect is that that quote actually said something a lot more about me than about him. And this is what I realized, is that if you were to ask me who I was in high school, the first thing that I would tell you is that I am a wrestler. Like, who are you, Daniel? What do you stand for? What are you about? I would say I'm a wrestler for four years, all throughout high school, year-round. I ate, I breathed, I slept, I dreamed about wrestling during church. I don't know if you guys, you guys ever daydream in church? I did this all the time in high school. I literally could not pay attention. Paul raised his hand in the back. I could not pay attention to the message. I was just daydreaming about wrestling and my moves. And so if someone asked me about myself but without a hesitation, that would have been my response so quick, that I am a wrestler. And it, you might even say that it was my label. And I wonder this morning, if someone asked you that question, who are you? How would you respond? How would you describe who you are? Would you say I'm a tech worker in Silicon Valley? Would you say I'm a mother or a father? I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a business owner, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an educator. 
However you describe yourself, chances are you use the label to describe who you are, regardless if you're a millennial or not, right? We all use labels. We all use labels to describe ourselves. And this is the challenging thing about labels, right? Sometimes some labels actually make us better. There are some labels that we have given ourselves that maybe lead us to become better than who we would be without that label attached to our name. Maybe someone has like seen you do something really nice one time and they're like, man, I think that person is a generous person. And they tell you that and you're like, well, I guess I got to be generous now. <laughs> but sometimes, right, there are other labels that maybe limit your growth in life. And the tricky thing about labels is that a label at one season that maybe you use to help you grow isn't a label that helps you grow in every other season. It's like a pair of shoes, right? There's a shelf life. As a kid, you wear a pair of shoes, you buy them, they fit at first, they have traction, they work, they look clean, but at some point in the future, your shoes are going to get old, they're going to get dirty, they're going to get worn out, and they may not fit your feet anymore. And at that point, these shoes, instead of becoming a benefit to your wardrobe, they actually become a hindrance to your growth. And that's kind of how labels work in our life. And so I don't know what your label is this morning, but all I know is that at some point your label will stop describing your past and it will begin dictating your future. It'll begin limiting your future. And so today we're going to talk about overcoming the lies of labels. Overcoming the lies of labels. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I know some of you are feeling really nervous. We live in an area with a lot of introverts, okay? And you may think, oh, I'm new here. They don't really actually do this. No, we do it. So, so I want you to turn to your neighbor, the one you like the most, and say, you can do it, all right? You can do it. Say, you can do it. You can overcome the lies of your labels. Look, there's a 10-second delay in, in your response. Last week, we started a brand new, actually a few weeks ago, we started a new series called At the Movies, and we've been evaluating some of these movies because in our generation, movies are the stories that we tell that inform who we are, how we think, and maybe most importantly, what we value. And so we've been looking at these popular stories about the human experience and how they intersect with God's truth for our life. And this week, we are looking at The Lion King. It's the story of this young cub named Simba who was destined for greatness. And you all remember the line. This is my kid's favorite line. And I just can't wait to be king. Right? He can't wait to be king. But the problem is that he wants to be king for all the wrong reasons. He thinks that what it means to be king is that he gets to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, unbridled authority in his life. And his father knows that. And so as we saw in the opening clip, the trailer his dad said, it's not as much about what you get as much as it is about what you give as a king. Simba got into a lot of trouble throughout his life. He had kind of this unbridled ambition that put him in compromising situations. And his jealous uncle Scar uses this pattern in his life to orchestrate the death of his father Mufasa. And I apologize if there's anyone who hasn't seen Lion King, uh, you may want to step out of the room for the next 30 seconds. But that's not my fault. Unless you're a child, um, then that, that's acceptable. But this movie has been out for 20 years. <laughs> and then one day, Scar leads Simba into the middle of a stampede where he's running for his life. His father, Mufasa, finds him, saves him, rescues him, puts him 
you know, place of safety, but his father still hasn't gotten out himself. And so he's climbing up the edge of a rock. And if you've seen the movie, you remember this scene. And he's dependent on Scar to help rescue his own life. And what does Scar do? He digs his claws into his hands and throws them off the edge of the cliff. And Mufasa dies as he gets trampled by the stampede. And the pivotal, pivotal moment in this entire movie is when Scar then approaches Simba. And for the very first time, perhaps in Simba's life, he receives a label. He's told that he's a murderer. That the death of Mufasa was his fault. And he needs to leave and never return. And so today we're going to talk about how to overcome the lies of labels, because there are probably a lot of people in the room, I'm sorry, I'm going to say 100% of us that have walked through the doors of this room this morning that have walked in with labels on top of us. And sometimes we are living with labels that have lied to us for years and that have impacted the way that we operate and the future that we think we can have in our life. And so this morning, we're going to talk about how to overcome the lies of labels. This morning, I want to look at the true story from Scripture that's going to help us to do that. We're going to be in the New Testament this morning. The New Testament is the second half of the Bible, and it's the part of the Bible that talks about the life of Jesus, his identity, who he was, what he came to do, and how his life with the group of a small group of other people from these rural areas turned into like this massive movement in one generation. And we're going to look at one of the many biographies uh, found in the New Testament, written by a guy named Mark. Mark tells the story of Jesus' life according to his friend Peter. And Mark's biography, if you compare him to some of the other biographies found in the New Testament, it really is kind of like this highlight reel about Jesus' life. And one of the highlights that Mark shares uh, about Jesus' life was this one time when he was in a city called Capernaum, and he had this life-changing encounter with a group of friends. And so that's what we're going to pick up this morning. We'll be in Mark chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you have a phone, you can look it up there. And then if not, we will have all the sentences listed up on the screens as we work through the message this morning. So Mark chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, that there was no more, no more room even outside the door. The other day, I saw uh, a friend. He posted on social media. It was like a creeper pic. You guys know what those are? Creeper pics. It's like where you want to take a picture of someone, but you don't want them to know that you're taking that picture of them. And so you kind of just act like you're looking at your phone, but in the direction of the person you want to pick out. You guys may not get this. Uh, show them. This, I'm going to show you one from my own personal selection, the, the creeper pic. Uh, you may not know who that is, but that is Joe Montana. And uh, I said hi to him. He didn't want a picture. So I said, bam, I'm going to get one anyways. And I walked right past him in, uh, in the city. Now, I don't know how word got out about where Jesus was at, but sometimes I feel like when people take pictures of famous people at a certain place, then everyone like randomly shows up to that place and they just want to see that famous person. So it's kind of a dangerous thing. But this is what happened with Jesus. He shows up to the city uh, named Capernaum. It was a really... Uh, familiar area for Jesus. He had done a lot of ministry in the city before. In fact, he had performed miracles and the people loved him. They actually loved him so much that they begged Jesus to stay, but he said he couldn't. I had stuff I got to do. I got to reach other people. But when he comes back to town, you can imagine 
that they throw a party for him. And so somehow he ends up at someone's house and everyone in the city finds out about it to the point where they are all flooding into this house and there's not even room outside of the house for people to get in contact with Jesus. And this is where we start to learn a few things about how to overcome the, the, the lies of labels. The first is that you need ridiculous people in your life. Number one, you need ridiculous people in your life. It continues, it says, while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, and so they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. When my mom came to faith, she jumped in with both feet. She was going through a really difficult time in her life. She had a friend who reached out to her and invited her to church. And that first Sunday, she had like this radical transformation in her life. All of these things that had plagued her habits before almost, it seemed like, in an instant, uh, really changed. And so uh, what I saw in my mom, I've actually, since I've been a pastor, have seen a lot of other times. And, and there's almost this principle. Actually, there's a biblical principle behind it. And the verse says that he who is saved from much, will, or he who has loved much, loves others much. Or he who has been given a lot will love others a lot, in other words. And I saw that in my mom's life. She felt like God had done something really powerful in her life. And, uh, and I remember when she became a follower of Jesus, we started going to this church, and there was a family that was going through some difficult times. And... Uh, and so my mom heard about it. She had compassion. And I don't, I don't know what was going on in her mind. And this is not to be disrespectful to my mother. But I think that there was like this sort of breach of logic that happened somewhere in her brain because this was a family of four. We were a family of three. And somewhere along the way, as she heard about the need of this family, she thought, oh, why don't, why don't I just invite them to come live with us? And, and, uh, and I remember, have you guys ever given your spouse or like your children, this look, like, like, wh like, why did you do that? Like, why literally did you just say that? And I think that when my mom told me that this family was coming to live with us, that's the face that I gave her. What? Like, do you, do you see where we live? We're a family of three. They're a family of four. And so I want to show you a picture how ridiculous my mom was. This is a picture of the Atondo childhood household. That's where we grew up. And, and if you know anything about a duplex, you only get one side of that house. So that may look like a big house, but when you cut it in half, you only get half of that. And the total square footage, I looked it up on Zillow, the total square footage was 786 square feet. And my mom, oh, we have room to fit more than double the amount of people that are currently living in this house right now. And I was kind of frustrated with my mom. I thought, I'm not sharing my room with two other boys. Me and my brother can't get along as it is. How are we going to have two other kids taking up space in here? But you know what was crazy? Is that my mom got a lot of backlash for it. Because this family was living under the lies of a lot of labels in their life. This family was being accused of so many negative things in their life. And what I love about my mom's decision, even though at the time I didn't understand it, is that she didn't buy into the lies of other people's labels. 
She didn't buy into the lie of what other people said about this group of people. And for one year, we lived with this family. It was supposed to be like two weeks. It was one year we lived with this family. Every one of us got like 100 square feet of space that we could call our own. But it was a year that transformed their life. It was a year that they were finally able to save a little bit of money. It was a year that dad, their, their dad was finally able to find a job that was sustainable in their life. It was the foundation of a new beginning for them, but it was all because someone was real, willing to be somewhat of a ridiculous person. And when you look at this story of these four guys, they are a ridiculous group of guys. They're ridiculous. It says that they carried this man into the house. He was paralyzed. So they drug him from whatever part of town they were. They found this house where he was at. And then we're told not only do they drag this man on a rag, but they notice that like the house is packed, everything else is packed. And I imagine that like if it were most of us, we would have like given up at that point. We would have thought, well, you know, we tried. Bob, um, you know, it's all packed out. We can't get in. Maybe we'll catch Jesus on the way out. Have you guys ever tried to drive to Santa Cruz on a Saturday in the summer at 2 p.m.? Big mistake. Don't do it. We tried to do that earlier this summer. We just exited on the next exit. We said, sorry, we're not going to Santa Cruz. I imagine, right, that's like it's so frustrating to get caught in a bunch of, in a crowd that you weren't anticipating. But that's not what these guys did. It says that they actually climbed to the top of the house dug a hole in the house and lowered him through. And I think that every single one of us need to have friends like this. And I just imagine like they're dragging this guy and he's already kind of questioning it. Maybe he's embarrassed. He doesn't want everyone to see him. And I imagine like after he, everyone notices that there's a crowd and they couldn't get in, they're friends. These guys are like, nope, we're still going. I don't care what we got to do. And I imagine that the guy who's being dragged is probably telling them, no, you guys, this is embarrassing. I don't want to do it. This is hurting me. Um, I, these guys, everyone's going to be looking at me. Please stop. Please stop. And isn't it true that sometimes we are the greatest, greatest barrier to our own growth? in life? Isn't it true that like sometimes we sabotage our own development more than anyone else? And that's why it is so important that we have ridiculous people in our life who look at us and say, I, I can see more in you than you can see in yourself. Sorry, Bob, we're going up to the top of the roof, <laughs> right? He's like begging them, please, no, if I fall, I can't catch myself. And they said, no, we're taking you to the top of the roof. And what's crazy is they started digging a hole in this like tree and, and, and uh, dirt roof. And I think how frustrating would that have been for Jesus? Because you got to imagine there's someone on the other side of this roof trying to get stuff done too. Jesus is showing up to Capernaum and he's teaching this amazing, amazing message. And people are getting like captivated. He's telling these awesome stories. And then he's like bringing it up to the end of the message. And he has like this really emotional appeal that he's planning to tell people. And as he's like captured their hearts, every eye is on Jesus. Dust begins to like drop from the ceiling. And he's like, what is going on? Have you ever heard the AC unit turn on in here? Probably not. If you haven't been here in the last six months, you probably have because it sounds like a generator is turning on. And I felt like for a while, every time the generator, the AC would turn on was like right at the end of my message. And it was so frustrating. <laughs> and Jesus is like sharing this great message and he's interrupted by these guys who are digging a hole through the roof. 
And I love these guys because it's almost as if they could not care less about what anyone else is going through because all they wanted to do was get this guy in front of Jesus. When everyone else would have seen it as an obstacle, they saw it as an opportunity. And this is how Jesus responds. Verse 5, the first thing it says is seeing their faith. He didn't see their foolishness. He didn't see their lack of concern for the rest of the people who were trying to enjoy what Jesus was teaching. Jesus didn't see how rude they were. Jesus didn't even see, they said, the, par- the paralysis of this man. The thing that Jesus saw in their behavior was their faith. He looked beyond all the commotion, and he saw the diligence and the determination that these guys were willing to pursue for the sake of their friend. And I love that these guys didn't buy into the lies of the labels around this man's life because you know everyone was talking. This guy's worthless. He's useless. He's unemployable. He's a beggar. He's dirty. He, what, what good does he provide for this society? And he had four friends who had ridiculous faith. And this is why it's important for two reasons. Number one, the faith of your friends matters for you. I don't know what kind of people you have in your life, but you need a few people who at some point in your story are willing to carry you into the presence of God when you cannot do it yourself. You're going to need people in your life who when you are going through a difficult time, when you are struggling and battling in life, and you don't even have the emotional desire to pray, who will pray you into the presence of God. We all need people who will love us when maybe we feel disillusioned by faith or maybe even the local church who will, will remind you of how, God, how good God has been to you in the past. We all need friends who see more in us than we see in ourselves. We all need friends who are willing to walk through us, walk with us through a season of darkness. People who will challenge you to take those next steps in your spiritual journey. People who will love you when you have not done anything to earn their love. Number two, your faith matters for others. I think that we have people in the room today that are in the middle of a lifelong prayer. There are some of us today that have been praying for our children who have maybe wrecked their lives. Maybe we're praying for a parent who has wrecked their lives. We are praying for a friend who's like right on the verge of a breakdown. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but when you pray for the same people over and over again, year after year, decade after decade, doesn't it get tiring? Don't you stop believing that God even hears your prayers? You need to know that your prayers are making a difference. That your faith Your faith for someone else's life is making an impact. Your faith matters for other people just like their faith matters for you. And this is one of the reasons why we push our groups. It kind of seems like a little gimmick, right? Find community, get connected. There's truth to that. 
But the real reason is that we know that you're going to walk through a shadow of a season in your life. You're going to go through some life event, and if you don't have people who are ushering you in the direction of God, in the direction that perhaps you want to go in your life, you will have a million voices telling you to do the wrong thing. And we know that it is so important to have the right people in our life, the right people who are going to be a part of the current of good, the right type of people who love us and believe that we can become all that God dreamed we could. Next, we learned that based on Jesus' response, a new identity is greater than a new label. Look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, verse 5. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Jesus didn't just replace this man's label. He gave him a brand new identity. I told you that I loved wrestling growing up in high school. Well, my first year of college was perhaps at the time the worst year of my life. I remember going into the wrestling room three months before any other freshman because I wanted to get ahead. I wanted to try to break the lineup my true freshman year. And so I thought if I got a few extra months of training, I might be able to do that. So I went early, trained hard, and, uh, and then about six months later, this was like the beginning of the downfall of what would become maybe the most challenging season of my life. Number one, going to college for the first time, I had my faith being attacked like I had never experienced before. I had literally nearly every single day professors calling people who believed in Jesus and followed him, called them idiots, which is cool. That's his own perspective. And, and I mean, I think, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, that's him. But that was a challenge for me. That was a challenge for me. Number two is my dad was murdered six months after I moved to college. That was a horrible, horrible experience, obviously. And then number three, about two months after my dad had died, I tore my ACL and I lost my college scholarship in wrestling. And it was this moment where for the very first time in my life, God was allowing for these things to happen to destroy this label that I had placed over me. I call it a label. You may call it a mask. I don't know what it is, but it's that place where you find your significance outside of God. And it was in this horrible season, and I had one of these moments. I drove to the church that I was attending really, really late at night so that nobody was there, right? I didn't want anyone there while I was going through this, like, emotional struggle. And I remember, if you've seen, uh, um, what's that movie in the 90s where that girl is, like, screaming at the top of her lungs, and she's like, where are you? What is it called? Scream? Scream? Or I know what you did last summer, right? It was that movie, right? That was me. I was in the parking lot late at night saying, God, where are you? Right? And it was like this horribly emotional moment. But I came to this point where God was stripping me of the identity where I thought, the place that I thought I had value. But the cool thing about when you remove that label and when you remove that mask is that when that happens, that is the same place that you're going to find your true identity if you allow God to help you in that process. And that's what it was for me. God helped me to find my true identity, and that's what he was doing for this man on this day. He looked at this man. He didn't do anything about this man's symptoms at first, but he went right to the source. He says, my child, your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. You are my child, and whatever shame you've been carrying associated with the label on your life, you can let it go because I've got you now. 
You have been released from whatever shame or guilt that you have clung to as a result of your condition. And I think that there are some of us that need to hear that this morning. That maybe there has been a label about your life. You've been divorced. You've been arrested. You don't have an education. You don't own a Tesla. I don't know what it is, right? Whatever it is, right? There are labels in your life. And on the shadow side of that label, there are all these lies that maybe you have believed to be true about who you are. And what you need to hear is the same exact thing that Jesus told this man that morning, that you are the masterpiece of God. And that if you have stepped into faith and you've received the gift of Jesus, your sins have been forgiven. That guilt and that shame, that is no longer part of your DNA. That's no longer part of your spiritual DNA. You have nothing to do with that. He gave this man a new identity. Then we learn that when we overcome the lies of labels, it's never just for us. Mark chapter 2, verse 11, Jesus says, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Jesus healed this man because of the faith of his friends, but it wasn't just for him. And maybe what you need to know is that sometimes when you're walking through a difficult season and you can't quite see how it's going to end well on the other side, maybe you're on the verge of giving up, maybe you're frustrated about life, maybe you're ready to quit, and then all of a sudden God offers you a breakthrough. And your life changes, and things are good, and then you go on and you live happily ever after. That's actually not how it's meant to end. Is that when God blesses you, it's meant to impact the lives of other people. And you remember the story of Lion King, right? Or the Lion King, where at some point he is reminded of who his true identity really is, right? He's reminded of the fact that he's not this Akuna Matata type of hippie lion. All right, no more worries for the rest of your life. No, there are worries, man. You got to take care of stuff. You got responsibilities. You are the king, right? There was that divine identity that he was reminded of and spoken into. And when that happened, he clung to that true identity and it didn't just benefit his life, but it benefited the life of so many other people. And when God is working in your life, it is never meant just for you. It is always meant to reverberate itself in your sphere of influence. And I think that that's why my mom was willing to be radical. That's why she wasn't willing to believe in the lies of the labels that these people carried into that church that Sunday because she remembered. She remembered that those months that she was being invited by a friend to go to church where she was hung over, couldn't get up on a Saturday, couldn't wake up on time on a Sunday morning, finally got to the point in her life where she said, if if, if I didn't have children, I'm going to commit suicide. And it was at that point that she said, I'm going to try church because I've tried everything else and nothing else is working. 
and she remembers what it felt like to show up to a church, a context that she had nothing to do with before, how nervous she was parking that car for the first time, how nervous she was to walk up to the entrance of that building and see a bunch of people that didn't look like her, didn't talk like her, didn't sound like her, and she was dragging in these two nasty, unruly little boys. But she remembered how when she walked into that place, they did not listen to the lies of her labels. And she encountered Jesus, and her life was transformed. She never forgot. And she knew that the grace that had been given to her was not just for her. It was for someone else. It was to help pay it forward, that spiritual transformation that God had worked in her life. And I wonder today, what would your life look like if you overcame the lies of your labels? I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what your past has been. I don't know what you came into this building with this week. But what if today is the day that you said, I'm not carrying those stupid things around with me anymore? And for the first time, I'm going to start believing that I'm as valuable, I'm as significant, I'm as important as God says that I am. And it's not about anything that we've done. It's all about what God has done on our behalf. It is who we are from. When I look at my children, no question, if you have kids or family members that you love, like there's no question, certain people you love... It doesn't matter who they are or what they do. You would give your life for them in an instant. No question. The type of love you have for those people is the same type of love that God has for you. You are that valuable to him. And it doesn't matter what your past suggests about your worth. I wonder today, what would this church look like if we were a church that overcame the lies of the labels that define church? What if people walked into this place and they thought, man, I've been to church before, but I kind of felt like if I shared something personal with these people, they wouldn't gossip about me behind my back. I walked into this church today, and you know what? I feel like, I feel like this community is dead set on making an influence in the neighborhood, and in the city that they live in. I've been to other churches before, but this church is so diverse, ethnically, generationally, that I'm pretty sure, even if I don't believe everything they believe, they'll accept me and they'll let me be a part of this community. What if that was a picture of the type of community that we were building here? Not because of us, but because we know that who we're pointing people to has the potential to overcome and to transform anything that is happening in their life. One of the things that from the very beginning we have banked the values and the vision and the philosophy of this church on is that a moment in the presence of Jesus changes everything. And that is all we are pushing people to on a Sunday morning. And in this experience, to get a little bit closer to coming face to face with Jesus. It doesn't usually happen in an hour. 
Some of us, it doesn't happen for a month. For some of us, it hasn't happened for a year. But every week, we're taking those little bit of baby steps, exploring what life with Jesus would look like. And one of the greatest lies that every single one of us have to battle with is that we can do it on our own. But did you know that Jesus came to this earth to do what we could not do for ourselves? Jesus is at least that one radical person we can have in our life who believes in us more than we believe in ourselves, who sees our value far greater than what we can see in ourselves. Because he came to this earth to die on a cross, to bridge a gap that we could never bridge so that we could have peace with God forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to gather as a community, to be a part of a group of people that are trying to figure out life, that are trying to navigate through the difficulties and the complexities of relationship. God, we are praying, praying, God, that you would give us clarity about purpose and life. But Lord, as much as we long to understand purpose, part of that process is being able to identify the labels and the lies that we're living under. Whether it's that maybe we think we're lazy, maybe we think that we've not accomplished as much as we should have at this stage in life. God, maybe there have been bad decisions that we've made in the past. Maybe there has been a season of sin that has defined our lives. But just because that is who we were doesn't mean is that that's who we have to become. But the turning point, God, is when we confess, when we break down the lie that we are capable of doing it on our own, that we are capable of finding the peace that only you offer in anything outside of your son, Jesus. That is the beginning of brand new life. God, I pray this morning that if there's anyone here that has never taken the step to begin a relationship with you, that that would end today. The beauty of this place is that we can walk in a certain way, but we don't have to leave that way. We can walk in as someone who has been skeptical of faith but, and leave a believer. And God, this morning, I pray that you would do a work, that you would begin to wrestle up what's happening in our hearts and that wherever we're at, we begin lopping off those lies that have limited our life. God, I thank you for this community. I thank you for the hope that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.